You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you stories that remind us who God is and who we are in Him. The Collected Podcast is a production of Collected Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping disciples of Jesus discover and live from their true identity in Christ, recognize and walk in their divine purpose within the kingdom of God, and experience growth in their capacity for mature, healthy relationships. Follow Collected on social media at Collected Ministries, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and additional content related to today's episode. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 25 of The Collected Podcast. I'm your host, Jess Biondo, and this week I'm so excited to bring you our first three-peat interview, uh, meaning this is the third time we have had this guest on, and it is such an honor um, to welcome Gary Thomas back to the show. So, Gary, welcome. Thank you, Jess, and I do feel honored. I'm thrilled to be back for a time. Thank you. And we've had you on in season two and three to talk about other books you've had out. So listeners, I encourage you to go check those episodes out if you haven't already, um, because in those we go into Gary's background a little bit more as well. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that because I really want to get into the content of his new book. It's called Making Your Marriage a Fortress. And if you're watching us on video, here's the cover, Uh, and it is fantastic. And listeners who have been with me for a long time know I'm not yet married, and I still found this book so encouraging and um, just fascinating. So Gary, to get started, I was wondering if you could first share a little bit about the heart behind this book and what led you to write this one. Yeah, I was at a family camp a while back. And the difference about a family camp than just a normal conference, conference, they fly me in. I'm there Friday night, then Saturday, often flying out Saturday afternoon. You don't really see people. I mean, real quick between sessions or whatnot. But at a family camp, you're sitting at a table with people. You're often waiting beforehand. or And, and just I was overwhelmed by the needs. When you get to know people, how if you open up just about any front door in the world, the level of pain and difficulty behind those doors that you wouldn't see. You go by and you see these nice painted houses and the challenges. There was a woman I'd never heard of this before where her life was filled with constant seizures hmm. and they could be bad. And and this, if they went into a worship service and the music was a little bit too loud or the lights were there, it could bring her into a seizure. She had to bring her own food to the family camp. If she eats the wrong ingredient, she can go into a seizure. And the husband told me about a time where the seizure was so bad, it lasted for three hours, knocked out a lot of her memory. And he was so distressed going through this for so long. He just prayed, God, I pray that you would heal her or take her, but please don't make her keep having to go through this. Mm -hmm. He prayed that prayer six years ago. They're still going through it. So she raises her kid without being able to drive and, you know, all of the other issues It just make that a challenge. Another couple, wonderful couple, were pregnant when they got married uh, and then adopted kids. They had two autistic kids. And then when they thought they were done, they got a call from Child Protective Services because the the birth mother of their adopted child is now giving birth to another child. They like to keep the siblings together. They're in their late 40s, but they still agreed, okay, we'll, we'll take this child in. And now the child isn't developing normally. Mm-hmm head is too small. And they realize we'll literally never have a moment of our marriage when we weren't pregnant or raising children. Wow! Um, And that's what they're going on. Another couple faithfully serving God have gone from ministry position to ministry position. And there's been some financial challenges. 
And then things got really tight after COVID when a church was, you know, basically laying some people off. They found a, a, a small condo that they thought, okay, this will tide us over until we get into our house. And now they realize this will probably be our retirement home. <laughs> and their daughter was just diagnosed as being bipolar. Mm. Uh, another couple that kept being interrupted during the conference with a mentally ill child that would just literally could call 50 or 60 times a day. And if they didn't get answered, could get even angrier. And then one young man, it was just, uh, it was heartbreaking. He just, he waited until everybody was gone. We were alone in there. And he just shared the story of his wife, who's really faced severe depression now for about four years. And if anybody's well versed in depression, that means he does most of the physical labor around the house. His wife just gets tired. He has to give most of the energy into the relationship because when you're depressed, it's hard to care about someone else. But what was really painful for him, she's done with God. Why would God give me this brain? She doesn't want to worship. She doesn't want to go to church. He takes his family to church alone. And so I'm talking with him. I'm sharing with him and praying over him. And I had to leave. I had to catch a plane. And as I'm walking out, there were two doors. And he thought I was out the second door. And he just broke out in sobs, Jess. And I, I, I felt the weight that this guy is carrying. And here's the thing. None of these issues are going to be solved necessarily in this lifetime. Maybe one or two might face a miracle. More likely, they're going to have to live through it. And when I first started work on making your marriage a fortune, this is for those rare couples that really have had real difficult challenges and they want inspiration of how couples have gotten together. And I realized every couple is going to have these challenges. If they're not already in the challenges, they're about to see them or certainly will in a number of years. And so it was just a chance for me. You know, I've written five or six other books on marriage before this, a chance for me to go to really wise couples. That's what I had to find. It wasn't just couples that had bad things happen to them because, you know, that, that could be a depressing book. I had to find really wise couples who could articulate, okay, here's what happened to us. Here's what we did that was wrong. We wish we wouldn't have responded that way. Here's where we eventually found help. And here, and this is what I love, Audrey's story ends with, we found that where we needed God, he was there. God mm -hmm. is faithful. God is a refuge in the storm. If you put your faith in God, he won't let you down. Mm, amen. You know, our tagline of the podcast is collecting stories that remind us of who God is and who we are in him. And so, you know, kind of thinking about that, how would you say that understanding ourselves relates to our view of God? And then how does that impact our relationships? Well, I, I, let me give in a couple as an example here. I think of Daryl and Stacy. Daryl was a weight lifter. And for your list, I, he would bench press 400 pounds. And it'd take about two and a half of me to bench press 400 pounds. That's a lot of weight. An NFL lineman would be proud to bench press 400 pounds. Um, and so he always thought he would bring strength to his marriage. He would be the guy that Stacy, his wife, could could depend on. He would carry in the groceries. He could carry in her. He could carry in her and their child, all, all of that. And Stacy came from a really dysfunctional background, and she wanted security. She wanted 
a guy who would take care of her and make her feel safe. That's why they got married. That was the view they had of themselves. Three years after they were married, Daryl's diagnosed with MS. Mm -hmm. And at that point, Daryl thought as an athlete, I can work through this. I'm going to beat this. And so he worked out. That's what he did as an athlete until the doctor said, Daryl, you're making it worse. You're breaking your body down and it's not able to recover. If you're denying the elephant in the room that you have MS, you're going to make things worse. And and all of a sudden, Daryl's like, who am I if I'm not the strong guy? And Stacy, who wanted to be protected, who wanted a husband, she said, that could take care of me. She said, I I wanted to live in Daryl's shadow. He, He wasn't just a strong guy. He was a charismatic guy in a positive sense, not in a negative sense. He wasn't narcissistic. He didn't steal the show, but he was great with kids. People loved him. And now all of a sudden, she has to take care of him. Today, she has to leave parties at 8 p.m. because Daryl does better if he gets in bed early. I, I talked to him very recently, just after the book was written. And what amazed me is Stacy was comparing who Daryl was before she married him and before he was diagnosed with MS, the big, strong, charismatic guy. She goes, now, Gary... He may be the most humble man I know, and it draws me to him. It reflects the character of Jesus. Mm. It makes him so precious to me. His image was, I'm going to be the big, strong guy. And God said, no, Daryl, I have something else. In fact, when he was first diagnosed, and you can get how an athlete would say this, Daryl said, Gary, I had one prayer, and it was two words, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. He didn't have until he felt like God challenged him, Daryl, I will heal you, but not of MS. I'm going to use MS to heal other things that you're not aware of to complete the work I've called you to do. And and, and that's the kind of faith that, that I just was overwhelmed in getting to spend time with these couples where the reason they got married, and this is good for you <laughs> as, as a single gal, I'll be one who's in a serious relationship. The very reason Daryl got married, I want to be this guy. And the reason Stacy got married, I want to be married to this guy, blew up within 36 months of their wedding and everything turned over. And yet God has done something precious where they love each other. They're deeper in the Lord. They're more mature in their faith. And I got, it's so beautiful. Daryl is so thankful for Stacy. He said, Gary, MS makes me so grateful for Stacy. I have to thank her a thousand times a day. He could be so bitter at life and bitter at God and bitter at the disease. It's turned him into a very grateful man that he has the wife walking through this journey with him. Mm, man, so, I mean, what would you say to someone then who gets that diagnosis or is walking through a grief or a loss and they're not at the point yet where Daryl is of being able to like see the good and celebrate, you know, the things he still does have, but they're still just stuck in that season of grief. What might you say to them? Well, it's a great question, Jess, because with all of these couples, I want to make it clear. These weren't just, oh, we did it right the first time. We got it. We went to scripture. We prayed. We found victory. They all admit, yeah. In fact, what I'm about to share with Stacy blew me away about what she looks back and says how she would deal with it differently. Uh, But for them, it was just recognizing what they needed to face. And looking back, Stacy's greatest fear because of her dysfunctional childhood was that she would have a husband who wouldn't make her feel safe or who wouldn't take care of her. 
she was, um, I think this was about 25 years in, she was at a dinner party and they all had a great meal and laughter. Daryl was now in a scooter, so he's not even walking. And she looked around and she just said, Stacy, this was your biggest fear two and a half decades ago. It's come true. It's what you beg God to not let happen, but you're okay. You and Daryl are in love with each other. You're having good times. You have friends. And then she said, Gary, I think my fear did more damage to our marriage than MS did to our marriage. Wow. And so fear, fear is putting yourself into the future without God's grace. Mm. And, and, and God's grace is sort of like the manna. You don't get to save it up for tomorrow or it goes bad. If people remember the Old Testament account, um, you're saying, I, how am I going to face this? Well. It's how am I going to face it with God? Well, God will find a way. That's the overall picture. The immediate picture, I would say this. Daryl and Stacy both face this diagnosis in different ways. Daryl is the half glass full guy. Stacy's a half glass full, half glass empty person. And, and they were both right and they were both wrong. Daryl was wrong with it being half glass full, thinking I can work my way through this. I'm going to be the athlete who beats it. He had to realize that Stacy was right. This is really bad. This is really serious. You can't deny this. It's fine to pray for healing, but when you get to the point where God says, no, Daryl, I'm not going to remove the MS. I'm going to use the MS to remove something else. At that point, you have to surrender and say, okay, this is what we have. But Stacy had to learn that Daryl was right, that she would be okay. That 25 years later at the dinner party, oh, okay. What I want to happen didn't happen. What I didn't want to happen didn't happen. But I'll find out that that God will be there. And so Stacy talks about the need to lament. Mm. She had to learn. I can't deny this. And God has a big enough soul. I can lament. I can, God, this stinks. I don't want this. I'm afraid. And and she said that's healthy. And so often we focus only on God change this. God make this different. And she said, we have to learn how to grieve. And the mm -hmm. church isn't great at that. So yeah. there comes a point when you just say, okay, God, if this is your answer, it makes me really sad. Here's why I'm afraid. Here's why I'm sad. So give yourself permission to get there. It took Daryl and Stacy decades. And I want to emphasize that word. Mm -hmm. Not weeks, not months. It took them decades to get to where they are. And so recognize as the married couple, you'll probably respond to the challenge differently. It's very common to have the half glass full, half glass empty. And to realize instead of saying, I'm right, because they both thought they were right. Daryl thought Stacy doesn't have faith. Stacy thought Daryl's in la la land. Again, they were both right and they were both wrong. Let's learn from each other. Let's face this together. Mm, that's good. You know, I heard... Someone say once, maybe it was you on a past episode, um, that communication is kindness. And so many times as I was reading the book, that continued to come oh, to my yes, mind yes, yes, as yes. a theme in so many of these stories. So I was wondering if you could, I kind of expound on that a little bit yeah. of that idea of communication as kindness and as essential. Let me give a great example with uh, Baron and Christina. Baron is a chaplain in the military. He goes to some really scary places because sometimes he gets posted with special ops guys who disappear and can't tell anybody where they are and come back and can't tell anybody what they've done. 
Um, and, but he's the kind of guy that likes to go out with that. And they've been apart for about two years. I think they've been married maybe 15 to 20 years. And of that, they've been apart two years. If you add up all the nights that they were away. And what they found is they communicated about how they're going to stay together when they left for the first time. And it was devastating. But they didn't communicate about re-entry. And so mm. Baron really wanted to come back to a house that hadn't been changed. And Christina thought she would surprise him. Well, I rearranged the furniture. I got rid of it. And, and it made him feel like he was missing out. He didn't want And it really matters to him that the house is clean. And Christina would say, well, yeah, good luck, Baron. I'm home alone with two kids. How am I going to get the house clean when you get home? And so by communicating, he said, well, let's set aside a budget item for a professional person to come in before I go. Christina was thrilled. Okay, if it's not on my shoulders, I'll take the kids to the park. We'll come back. We have a clean house. That's great. And then Daryl, there, um, I'm sorry, Baron got to come back and, and, and see a clean house. Now, the reason I say we need to communicate and then communicate some more and then communicate some more is that it's different for every couple. I traveled a ton when our kids were young. And well, I still do, but Lisa travels with me. Back then when she'd stay home with the kids, I'd come back. And Lisa thought a clean house was the best way to welcome me because she loves a clean house. In fact, sometimes I've gotten nervous. We would miss a plane now that we travel together because she thinks it's more important that the sink doesn't have any dishes than that we catch the plane on time. I, you know, I think dishes can wait more than a pilot will or United Airlines. She's not convinced of that. So I would come home and she's, you know, because you got small kids, so she's still vacuuming or she's wiping off the counters or sweeping the floors. And I'm, I wanted to come home to chill and quiet, tranquility and relate. Let me hold the kids. Let me snuggle with the kids. Let me hug my wife. Lisa's love language might be acts of cleaning. And so she thought she was loving me. And I had to say, honey, I, whatever you don't get done. I, I said, I honestly don't see crumbs on the counters when I come home. I'm not looking at the floors. I'm not seeing if the windows are completely transparent. I want to look in your eyes. I want to look in my kids' eyes. I want to hold my family. And so it was a different thing than Baron. So you don't necessarily know. And I robbed Lisa of the chance to really greet me like I wanted to be greeted. She said later, she goes, I wish you would have told me that. Mm. Uh, because I just kind of ripped my teeth. Well, that's who Lisa is. And that's what, and, and instead of saying, hey, honey, this is really kind of the environment I want when I come home. And the same way, Lisa needs to say to me, okay, Gary, here's what I've been doing when you're gone. Here's what I need from you as you come home. And so uh, I've talked to some guys where they said, you know, I, I got to, I got to pause before I get home and say, okay, God, I've, I've given myself fully to my job or my travel. I want to be fully present as a husband or the wife, if it's the wife coming home or as the father or as a mother, let me give myself to my family every bit as much as I gave myself to my vocation. So those are things where it's just so essential to communicate. Mm. Um, another couple that really had to learn how to communicate has um, daily check-ins because the wife just wants to, I want to know what you're doing in your day. We're not going to be together, but if I just know, and for them, it's just five or 10 minutes, Jess. And the husband, Randy found out that it goes much better if she's caffeinated. <laughs> so he, he he brings her in a cup of coffee every morning, gives her 15 or 20 minutes to wake up. And then they're just sharing their schedules. Can I pray for you something? And they go off. And that daily check-in has done wonders. 
I, I don't know if it was me that said communication is kindness, but I love the phrase. Whoever said it, I think really got it. I think to stay intimate in your marriage, communication is crucial. Mm. Yeah. And for people listening out there, if you're not married, I think all of this applies like me as a single person to friendships and family relationships and so many things like, please don't tune out even if you're not married, because <laughs> this is good stuff. Um, you know, for me personally, thinking about hopefully being married one day, hopefully soon, um, the thought of kids, I've always wanted to be a mom. I always thought I would get married at like 22 and have five babies and that wasn't my story. And I'm so thankful for the path God has had me on. It's been more amazing than I could have ever expected, but it's so different. And now being in my mid-30s and thinking about having kids and how much of a change that's going to be and how much independence I have and my boyfriend and I, how our whole job is to just like be obsessed with each other and get to know each other and have fun experiences and learn how to communicate. Like we're all about each other. And we have a lot of conversations, especially recently, about what kids will look like and what that means for us. And it's very scary, (laughs) this like change of season. So to more, you know, make the question more broad for other people, like you say in the book, life is lived in chapters. So like, what does it look like? to be responsible and to change together and to like walk through these different seasons together, even when the season seems really scary. Well, I took that phrase from Elton Trueblood, a philosopher who died in the 80s, a Christian philosopher. He was a very wise man, and it's really helped me live my own life. And you're right, children really do change things. Les Parrott has a great line, Dr. Les Parrott, when you give birth to a new baby, you give birth to a new marriage. And if you give birth to a second baby, you give birth to a new marriage. And I've I've shocked some couples that are expecting their first child to say, what are you going to take out of your life? What do you mean? Well, do you think God gives you 30 more hours a week when he gives you a baby? Here's a baby. Now you get 35 hours a day instead of 20. No, but every time I look at a young couple, they've got, you know, and, and they just don't think that way. And they get caught by surprise. So living your life in chapters means this. You have the chapter of your singleness seeking first the kingdom of God, finding out your place, finding out your gifting, finding out your call. And then for some that leads to marriage and you have then that chapter of, okay, we're together as a couple. How do we get to know each other? How do we cement our relationship, get strong so that we're rooted in love. And then the chapter of raising kids. And that that can take you into any number of places. I'm a huge fan. We have three children now two grandchildren, and it is it, it feels miraculous at times, but uh, it's, it's also you will face things you've never faced before. When you become a parent, you will face anger like you've never known anger because you care so much about these kids, and when they do something stupid, you're like, Man, how could you do that? It's not just about you. I'll break my heart for the rest of my life if something would happen to you, and so um, you deal with all of that, and, and that can be a season where you're not doing a lot. Jess, when I was raising kids, I didn't have the friendships I have now. I didn't have the hobbies. I worked and I was involved in church and I raised my kids. And I don't regret that. Mm. I mean, Lisa has said recently, Gary has more male friends than any guy. God has blessed me. Really solid male friendships. But there was a season of my life where 
you know, I just want to be there for, I had three kids to stay connected to. I had a job, I had a wife and, and it was, I think that chapter, it's okay to pull back. Hmm. Um, I don't think you should try to be what you were single. And I don't think as a married couple, you can do with toddlers and a baby, what you can do before you have that. Um, and then you get to the season of the empty nest years where you can go back to things. You know, it's interesting. I wrote sacred marriage when the kids were young about the difficulties of marriage and the challenges of marriage and how God can use that. I become an empty nester and write the book, Cherish. <laughs> hey, let's raise the bar from just let, let's cherish each other. It's a whole lot easier to cherish each other when you don't have, you know, three other people vying for your attention every day. I could focus on my wife. And then you have really the chapter of your, your senior years where you're able to just to sort of be there as, as grandparents or, or raise up others. Right now, I'm in a, I just recently moved to a church in, in Colorado, just took up the summer. And, and half my job is supporting the senior pastor, a guy who's 20 years younger than me. But my job is to help him succeed, to provide pastoral mm-hmm. care for the staff, to work on the teaching team. But at this point, to lift him up, um, not to be the star of the show, but to, to help support him. And so I think in every season of your life, is what Elton Trubler said, be faithful to the chapter you're in. You're single, Jess. Your job right now, if you want to get married, as you say you do, make a wise choice because you get one call as a Christian and you want to make it to be a right choice. Even though there are a couple reasons you can get out, you don't want to face either any of those reasons why a marriage would dissolve. So you want to get and And then once you feel like you know the choice, you want to get together with your husband, you want to build a strong marriage for the challenges that it face. And, and so it's not pining after another season. Well, I just wish I was a mom or I just wish it's like, accept the season you're in, live faithfully for the Lord in that season. Seek first the kingdom of God in every season. Mm. Um, and I think at the end, what true, true blood said, and which I found is true, you'll have the most joyful life when you're living in the chapter in and not trying to write another chapter or rewrite another chapter that you can't possibly rewrite. When you think of the people having a midlife crisis and having the affair with somebody so young, they're trying to go back to an earlier chapter and it's usually tragic rather than inspiring. Mm. Yeah, that's so true and so good. And like, too, you know, thinking about, you know, choosing someone to marry or if you already are married, you know, building what you have. Um, you talk in the book at one point about being like a skilled couple. And yes. what does that mean? Can you unpack that a little yeah. bit? And what are some of those important skills that, you know, dating people and married people can be working on. Yeah. The whole notion of our culture today is that if you find the right person, you don't have to work on your marriage. And I talk about one couple I interviewed called Randy and Hannah, and they have a really connected marriage. And people say to them all the time, you're so lucky you found each other. I wish I could find someone like you found each other. And Hannah pushes back saying, it's not luck. She goes, we're not as a compatible as you. We have worked really hard to get our marriage to this place. And we have to work really hard to maintain it to that. So it's taking people away from the game. I just need to find the right person in marriage is easy to. Can I improve in relational skills that will make marriage more intimate? Mm-hmm. And, and so being a skilled couple is recognizing every year there are new skills I can learn. Do we know how to resolve conflict? 
in a way that doesn't push each other. So we're not trying to win, but we're trying to understand each other. Do we know how to communicate? Um, do we know how each other deals with conflict? Like are they the some people say the you know flight fight. Um, then the fallen response, or, there are other approaches like that. I, improving in things like sexual intimacy. Just because you're in love, there can be a lot of issues that come up in the bedroom. You can work through that. You can improve that. Some couples have to work at having fun. You know, you get so caught up, and, and two firstborns can do this a lot. They get so caught up in the responsibilities and, and being this and that and and they just forget to have fun. Whereas the last born, sometimes all they do is fun and they forget that, you know what, we have to save money every now and then and we have to pay a bill at the end of the month and whatnot. So you're just recognizing a lot of these things that we fight about. You know, finances are a big thing that couples fight about. When I interview, well, when I'm doing premarital counseling for couples that have gone through Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey, it's night and day different. When they've got the skills to get their finances under control, it really blesses their marriage. And so the notion is, if you're not married, how can you improve in relational skills that will help you once you are married? And if you are married, what skill can we focus on this year? We want to be better at having fun. We want to think about things in the bedroom. We want to think about finances. We want to think about communication or conflict, maybe standing up for each other at family holidays. As we're looking at that coming up. How do we do? Are we each other's advocate? Do we leave each other alone? at the family gatherings? Or are we there for them? There are a lot of just different skills like that um, that you can grow in that will improve your marriage. So it's not just about the good match. It's about becoming more skillful in the relationship. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's a tall order, but I like how you said, you know, you focus on one thing at a time. Maybe this year, this is our theme or our goal. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. So... My next question is kind of a departure, um, not maybe specifically about something in the book, but through all these stories and all these couples you've been talking to, what has God been revealing to you about His character and His desire for His children in, you know, in our relationships with each other? One of the things I've felt just and just walking through life with these couples is such an increased empathy mm. that life can be really hard. And I don't want to sound depressing because these couples are filled with joy and hope, but they went through some truly dark moments. Talking to a couple that lost their only son mm. at 19, talking to couples that face betrayal. You promised to be faithful to me. And I think of the couple that lost their only son, the the, the husband telling me, Gary, what was so hard, my Garrett looked so much like Janelle. Every time I looked in her face, I was reminded of my loss. Oh. Just how, how do you get over? I mean, that's like, these aren't easy trials. And so when I preach now, in fact, I, I was doing a sermon directed toward husband. I said, God, I know these men are trying so hard. I know some are exhausted trying to make everything work. I want to encourage them. I want to build them up. They don't need shame and guilt and shoulds. And, and if I have this empathy, just I just imagine God's empathy is like 
Mm-hmm. Can I just give you a hug? <laughs> yeah. Can I just tell you in the end it's going to be okay? Guys, I, I kind of like a, a like a father on Christmas Eve. You're going to open up these heavenly presents and you're going to see it's all, all right in the end. It's You got to wait and it may seem like the night is never going to end, but morning is coming and it's going to be different. And so it's just giving me a glimpse that God does allow us to go through heartbreaking events in this world. But these couples found that real faith is real strong. I think of a couple, they were poor when they got married, is Emma and Billy, and then they became enormously wealthy, making millions of dollars. Two, I don't know, it's a long story, but two big business setbacks to where they enter their 60s with no money to speak of. They have to sell their childhood, the home they raise their kids in. And so they feel embarrassed at this stage in life when they used to pick up dinners for everybody. They supported four missionaries completely, sent the missionaries' kids to college. I mean, that's how much money they gave away. And now they're renting a home from one of their children. Just after a life of sacrificial giving to be in that situation. And yet the wife told me, this was, it was so inspiring to me. It was Gary... I, I, so Gary, I lived in Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. She was, I think when my husband was such a successful businessman, my thought was, Billy is my husband. He's a great businessman. I shall lack nothing. She goes, no, I have security, not because my husband is a good businessman. I have security because the God of all gods is my shepherd. He's my provider. He's my help. He's my refuge. And so God lets us face these things. But in the end, if it points us back to him, we find this unimaginable spiritual wealth that that a lot of us theoretically think God is probably enough, but we don't want to need him. When you get to the place where these couples really, truly need him, where they are desperate for him, not one was disappointed in the sense of God was there for them. Mm, wow. I mean, that's powerful that the struggle might not go away or you're you're still walking through the hardship, but you're not disappointed in the Lord. Like that, I mean, that changes everything. And when we have our expectations that this other person will fulfill me or this marriage will be my security or, you know, my provision, it'll always fall short no matter how great of a person you marry, yeah. you know, it'll never fulfill that, that place that only God can fill. Yeah. Um, we live just in a very fallen world, but we serve and are protected and loved by an incredibly powerful, gracious, kind, and merciful God. Those mm-hmm. two truths will be like a ping pong ball. We'll go back and forth, back and forth. But those are the two truths by which we live by. We still live in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. But even when we experience the pain of a fallen world, we still worship a loving, kind, merciful, and powerful God. Yeah. Um, Satan wants us to often deny one or the other so that we result in bitterness and estrangement from God. The worst thing that can happen with these trials is that it pulls us away from our spouse. Even worse, that it pulls us away from our God. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, at the end of the day, too, this world is not our home. We just keep our eyes focused on heaven and the hope of the Lord. And 
you know, this is this is like a blink <laughs> compared to eternity. Um, so we're almost out of time. This went way too fast. I had so many questions prepared because I love this book. Listeners, the book is out now. It came out two days ago from when this episode is dropping. Um, so if you're listening anytime, the book is out and you need to get it because it's fantastic. Even if you're not married, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, so as we wrap out this time, Gary, what did I miss? What is a final word of hope or encouragement or a story from the book um, that the Holy Spirit is just laying on your heart to leave our listeners with today? I, I, I can't say you missed anything, Jess. I think you've done a wonderful job of going right to the heart of it. And of course, there are so many stories we never even got to. Um, I think I just would maybe end with this. I really worked on the research of Dr. Archibald Hart and Dr. Sharon May. It's actually a father-daughter team that stressed the importance of emotional connection. Mm. And I think in the end, what was the foundational point besides faith, which is really the, and I'm not putting aside, that was really the issue. The second thing was couples deciding we want to come out of this closer rather than further apart. And there are things that you can do to build emotional connection, even in the face of disappointment. So the couple that brings a new baby home, one of their first commitments to each other should be 18 years from now, we should love each other more. We should be closer. We should be more one than we are today. That will be the best thing for our baby. More important than anything else is that our marriage is, is strengthened by having a child or children rather than pulled apart. Going through a financial crisis, okay, our bank account may be depleted, but what would be worse is if we are pulled apart and we get a divorce and now we have to divide our money and are even poorer, that would be the worst thing that could happen. The couple that lost their only child, the, the wife grabbed the lapels of a friend and said, I know 70% of marriages will get divorced when they lose a child. I've lost my son. Please don't let me lose my husband. You got to pray for me. Because again, if that emotional connection is lost, that's an even big, bigger problem. So really the foundation of making your marriage a fortress is this. When the storms hit, your marriage will be part of the solution or part of the problem. And if it's part of the problem, it becomes your biggest problem. If it's part of the solution, it actually will build your marriage and you'll come out of it richer. The couple that still is facing financial trials, the husband told me, Gary, I thought we'd have much more money in this stage of life than we do. He goes, but if you remove money from the equation, I'm not a billionaire, I'm a trillionaire. But the relationship I have with my wife and our kids and how God is using us. So they feel richer, even though in the world's eyes, they're poor because their marriage was a fortress. It wasn't part of the problem. Mm, that's good. I know I said that was my last question, but do you have time for one more, one follow up to that? Because I just feel like there's someone out there right now who's listening and is like, okay, that sounds great, but I've already broken my emotional connection. Like, I feel like yes. we're too far gone. I, it It's too late. Yes. Okay, I could give you a 15-minute answer to that. But let me I just know, say, and, and you, is, you know, the whole book's have, about that. <laughs> we have two different stories of betrayal, where the one was where the wife was unfaithful, one was where the husband was unfaithful. 
the one where the wife was unfaithful, she sounded like a schoolgirl. And she's, Gary, this last year of our marriage has been the best year of our marriage by far. And the one where the husband was unfaithful, the wife is, is just like, she goes, I wouldn't give him up. Part of his recovery was taking regular lie detector tests. I'm not kidding. He, he does that and he wants it. She goes, at least I know what my husband is doing. She goes, if I was dating a new guy, I'd want to put him on a lie detector test the first date. She goes, I, and, and they both describe how, look, both parties were repentant. This is so key because I know we've talked about when to walk away. Mm-hmm. There's a time when somebody has broken your heart and isn't repentant and isn't in recovery. I don't want them to feel guilted or shamed into staying in a toxic relationship. I'm talking about marriages where couples are working on it, repentant and, and following the Lord. But but three things real quickly that if they're lacking, the marriage will fall apart. If they're put back in, the marriage can be rebuilt. The first one is trust. You can't have an intimate connected marriage without trust. And I'm not just talking about sexual faithfulness. Of course, that is paramount. I'm talking about if you say you're going to pick up something from the dry cleaners, you pick it up from the dry cleaners. If you say you're going to be home at six, you're home at six or you call with a really good reason why you're not. If you don't trust someone, you don't feel safe with them. If you don't feel safe with someone, you can't be intimate. So building trust. If trust has been exploded, then you have to work hard to be a trustworthy person going forward. The second one is emotional availability. We can get close to each other. Maybe we're disappointed in each other. And so we're just not available anymore. We shut them off. We fill our lives with other things. We'd rather be scrolling through Netflix than talking with each other. When you talk about couples, how little do they talk? It's an awkward way of putting it. But the longer they're married, sometimes the less they talk. They're just not emotionally available for each other. They're filling their lives up with other things. And the third thing, so you've got trust, emotional availability, and sensitive responsiveness. Where when your partner shares something, you have a sensitive response. Your first words are so crucial to building an emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And when I'm talking with guys, and women will get this, one of the biggest things that frustrate wives is that we want to immediately fix it or tell our wives why it's not as big a deal that they're overreacting. It's the worst way to respond because that's not sensitive. They're saying, well, you want to fix it because you don't want to walk through this with me. Or you say, I'm the problem instead of, I I get why you're afraid. Of course that bothers you. No, you're not. I mean, it's that what matters most coming out of this connection, even more than the problem that I want to solve for my wife or help reframe for my wife is that she feels that I'm being sensitive in the way I'm receiving. And if I do that, then we can reconnect. I mentioned the couple where the wife was unfaithful. They were at a hotel after everything had happened. And this is probably a couple months after the disclosure and whatnot. So they're still trying to put things together. And he was acting like a detective because he was still hurt. Well, you said you went to the hotel then, but then there's this phone call and that doesn't add up. He was just like trying to catch her, you know, like some crime drama. And she finally looked at him. She said, David, you've asked me that question in different ways about a hundred times, but I'll answer it a hundred times. 
because I'm so sorry what I've done about what I've done. And, and I want us to get back together. Whatever you need from me, I'm willing to give. He stopped grilling her then and mm-hmm. never went back to it. That sensitive response, instead of being defensive, why won't you believe me? Well, why wouldn't he believe her? She lied to him before. She did on him before. So she was sensitive. I did this to you. I'm sorry. And I want to make it right. And that led, she said, to the best time of intimacy they've ever had in their marriage up till then. So um, if those three things are gradually eroding, you're losing trust, you're not emotionally available, and you're not responding sensitively to each other, you're going to grow further and further apart. If you put them back in, we get back to the skilled couple, you're going to start to grow closer and closer back together. Mm. Thank you so much. That was so good. And I just could listen to your wisdom for hours. So thank you for being on. Number four, Jess. Yeah, yeah, I know. Now you're just a repeat guest every season. I'm going to need you back on. So keep writing books, please. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love that conversation with Gary Thomas and his books are just fantastic. If you've never read any of them, I recommend all of them. Just pick one up, Um, but especially his new one, Making Your Marriage a Fortress, Strengthening Your Marriage to Withstand Life Storms. In the intro of the book, he shares a story about how he and his wife were preparing for a hurricane that was coming toward them. with where they lived. And, you know, he talks about the flooding that happened in the city. And you all know I had my own flood experience. And he says in that intro, you know, that eventually one, a storm will find its way to your house. Your house may be standing tall and proud in pleasant weather, but can it survive a storm? Like whether you're married or single or, you know, whatever season of life you are in, we will all face storms. And for me, with my (laughs) literal storm, I knew I was in a floodplain. Like, I always knew there was a possibility that my house could flood. So I sort of prepared. Like, I had flood insurance, which was a huge blessing (laughs) in the end. Um, But I still, like, stored tons of things on the floor and under my bed and, you know, all these bins and all these places. And my rugs and, you know, things where it was like, I wasn't living as if I lived in a floodplain. But after I flooded, you better believe that now I don't store things on the floor in my closet or under my bed. I built more shelves. I got things up off the floor. I am much more preventative because I know what the damage feels like. Um, So if you haven't walked through that storm yet, I mean, the more you can prepare in advance to like mitigate the damage, I don't know why we wouldn't take the time to just do that. Um, You know, we never know what's up next. You know, me, I lived in a floodplain, so I had a good guess of what could happen, but I still didn't take the time to really prepare for it. Um, And I think we do that so often in our lives. Um, Like if you know what your past holds and what you have a history of or what trauma you've walked through, like that should inform how you prepare for future relationships and how you seek healing or how you learn to communicate or, um, you know, maybe you need some therapy, maybe you need some medicine. Like what do you need to be 
the healthiest version of yourself, of who God created you to be, so that when those storms come, we we know who we are. We know what we're rooted in. We know where our security comes from, um, and it's the Lord. So mm, good book. I highly recommend it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I hope you are all having a great week. Um, If you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe, um, share a link to it on your Insta stories. All those things really help people find the show and help us grow um, and get more of God's Word and encouragement out there into the world. So I hope you're having a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you'd help spread the word. Check back here for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. You can follow along on social media at Collected Ministries. You can also find Jess at Jess Biondo. If you would like to support Collected by making a tax-deductible contribution, please visit collectedministries.org slash donate. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to support and prevent unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is produced by Jess Biondo and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Elon.